League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas present Tall City Elections. Welcome to Tall City Elections. My name is Michael Todd. I'm the station manager at the Recording Library of West Texas. And with us today is MISD District 5 candidate Brandon Hodges. And Brandon, thank you for being with us on Tall City Elections. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to Midland? Yes, sir. I was uh, raised and educated in Midland. I'm a product of MISD schools. Um, I was president of FFA at Lee High School, which is now Legacy. And I had a brother and sister who both uh, attended Lee, which is now Legacy. Uh, My mom taught in this district. She ended up, um, after my dad passed away, uh, moving to San Antonio. And she uh, taught until the day she died at Marshall uh, Secondary School in San Antonio. My wife is currently a teacher at Fannin. She's been there for 12 years. And my mother-in-law is retired from MISD. So we've got a lot of ties to MISD. Yes, and just a lot of ties to education in general. Yes, sir. Absolutely. What made you decide uh, at this point to make a run for the MISD board? Well, I don't believe the quality of our education uh, that our students are getting has been up to par. So I decided um, to put my name in the hat. Uh, because I believe that I can make some change for good. I'm only one vote on the board, but I'm hyperly focused on academics and student outcomes. And I believe that um, I have the leadership skills and a background in business and a strong tie to education uh, to kind of converge all those things together uh, to make a really good school board trustee. In looking at some of the articles in the Midland Reporter Telegram that had been in the viewpoint section over the last several weeks, one thing is that you mentioned that you were very happy about Midland uh, becoming a B-rated school district for the first time in a decade, but that you're you're skeptical because over half of the Texas school districts have become B-rated overnight. Could you expand on that? Yes, sir. According to the Texas Education Agency, um, after we came back post-pandemic, uh, the STAR scores were not – so the DNF-rated schools or campuses are not in the rankings. So, therefore, if you have a D or F-rated campuses, which we do in Midland, they don't go into the formula that gives you the cumulative. So our numerical rating was actually an 80 that we got from the TEA. But if you factored in the DNF into that formula – we would not be sitting at 80. We'd be some in the 70s, which is a C. I do believe, however, that we have moved forward in a positive direction in academics. I just don't believe that we've moved forward far enough. Well, and it's interesting in looking at the way that they do this, as you say, across the state as a whole, that uh, education in uh, at least the gubernatorial race has come up as um, a main topic with Beto O'Rourke coming into some of the rural conservative areas of Texas like Midland and talking about education, which in general, most people can agree, you know, we want to put more into it. His ideas include better pay for teachers, better teacher retirement plans, and then also canceling the STAR test. Have you been following this, and and are there ideas that might be worth looking at here? Yeah, I actually went and saw Better Work, not this last time he was in Midland, but I went and watched him speak 
a while back. Um, I like to go watch these guys for myself. I don't want to make my opinion based on somebody else's opinion. And he's, and so he's been speaking about education for a while. Um, getting rid of the star test. I, I think that the star test from a state level is not probably the most beneficial uh, test to see where our kids are at academically. I do believe in testing our kids to make sure that they're getting the value out of education. But I think the people that best formulate the test are their teachers because they are the ones that see them on a daily basis. They're the ones that know them best. And so they're going to know where those kids need to be on an individual basis better than just a standardized kind of can test. Um, but again, I want to specify, I'm, I think that getting rid of the star test is a great idea and I would be for that. But I also believe it's important for our kids to be tested so we know where they're at uh, on an academic level. As far as teacher pay goes, in MISD, we're very fortunate that our starting teachers, I believe, are like 26% above the state average for starting pay. Uh, but the things that MISD did that I think that we should look at is since we are understaffed and we are having, we're a district of innovation, which is what exempts the number of students going into elementary school, the state uh, requires you to not have more than 22 in elementary school, but because MISD chose to become a district of innovation. The TEA, TEA waives that, so you can stack it up with uh, with too many kids. And MISD, at the same time, they stacked the classes because of understaffing. They got rid of the large classroom stipend that the MISD teachers had been getting. They also got rid of the MISD perfect attendance stipend that teachers were available to get as well. And I think that... Um, you know, although our salary pay is really good, I think that we need to go back and reevaluate the stipend side of it to offer those stipends to those teachers for really being uh, overwhelmed with the amount of students that they have. And as far as the TRS and the teacher retirement system, I do believe that the TRS is something that needs to be looked at, but that is outside the scope of a local school board trustee. Uh, like I said, my mom just passed away in March, and so we've been dealing with TRS, uh, which has actually not been bad at at all. Um, but I do think that we need to reevaluate it, but we don't need to reevaluate it from a local level because it just it takes away time from the board when we need to be focused on academics on a local level, uh, and that's just not anything that TRS is. It's something that we can fix Um except at the state level, if that makes any sense. That does make sense. Well, focusing on the things that you were talking about that we can and should be doing at the local level, what are your thoughts about how to improve student outcomes? Well, first and foremost, specifically in MISD, I think that to focus on academics and make student outcomes improve, the thing that I mean, my perspective is we have a chronic discipline problem across our district. And until we allow our teachers to be unhandcuffed to teach our kids and to remove the chronic discipline problems out of that classroom, which frees up the teacher and allows the other students in the classroom uh, that, that are scholarly ready to learn, 
we're going to have problems. It doesn't matter the wonderful curriculum we have or the wonderful programs or how talented the teacher is. If we continue to allow the chronic discipline problems to, to keep away the education that goes on in the classroom with disruptions and distractions, I think that we're always going to continue to struggle to improve academically to the point where I want to improve. Now, the state of Texas makes sure we, we, we're legally obligated to educate all students regardless. So at the same time, I said we need to remove the chronic discipline problems. I think that we need to bring in some mental health help, uh, possibly. We maybe those kids that are the chronic discipline problems have sensory issues or whatever the issue is, but the environment that they're currently in is maybe helping lead them to be a chronic behavioral problem. So if we remove them out of that environment and educate them and give them mental health help if they need it or whatever help they might need. And, and with some of them, it might just be corrective discipline problem. They might just be acting out as some teenagers do, but allow them the opportunity to get voted back onto their home campus island. Because if you've got chronic discipline problems, you don't want to just kick that kid out to the street or not help them. You want to, you want to figure out what's going on and manage that kid and give them the opportunity to be able to earn their way back onto their home campus. And I think that most children like structure and like rules and, and some of them push the line on it. But as of now, I don't believe that the policy that we have in place at MISD is, is working. And I, so I believe that we need to do two things. One, we need to look at our current policy and see if it needs to be changed um, and then re-implemented and enforced across the district. Or we need to see if we need to write new policy that is specific to dis uh, discipline and implement it and execute it and enforce it across the district. And it could be a combination of both. But right now, um, the chronic behavior problems are essentially being allowed to run the schools and make the rules for the adults. And I absolutely don't believe that. I think that's uh, inverted. The adults are there for a reason. They're adults. They're educated in education, and they should be the ones leading the charge, not the kids. You know, and I, I was going to kind of allude to what you were saying uh, with a question later uh, in our interview, but I'll, I'll you gave such a great segue into this. I'll go ahead and ask it now. And it and we've always had discipline problems um, over the decades since schools began. But now you have this, like what you said is like, is this just normal teenage behavior with acting out or is it something else, especially with what's happened over the last several years? Because you've got students who have said that they're afraid to go to school because of some of the school shootings. And then you see not only the negative academic outcomes because of the pandemic and the isolation, but that increases. It's being shown right now they're seeing more uh, students who have depression, anxiety, and also just kind of that that normal when you are in school and you're that age and you're starting to learn social skills, they've had a backslide in learning of those skills because they've been isolated. How, how do you think that the schools can help, like better access to counselors or, or what? Well, that's one of the reasons that I decided to run to, for school board is actually here in Midland, we had a, a really unique situation to where the Midland Memorial and Texas Tech had some 
access to some psychological uh, inputs that they were going to be able to bring into the district. And they, they had a meeting with MISD and it essentially was, you were going into the schools and it was questions that you would ask these kids and then you would scale it, give it a numerical scale. And depending on that numerical scale would depend on, Hey, we need to seek some, some treatment or look for some resources for help or what have you. And uh, MISD and the board and the administration uh, declined to have that help come in. Um, so that really uh, frustrated me that they would decline the professional mental health that would come in and also the financial resources to help provide those mental health help were going to be provided. out. It wasn't something that was going to cost MISD anything. Um, and again, it was declined. And that is uh, frustrating me no ends to, to make me one of the reasons why I ran. So I do think that there should be access to more mental health care. If you look at it post-pandemic, and not just specifically to Midland, but across Texas and even across the U.S., you see, just as you had stated earlier, you see a multitude of, of either depressions or attempted suicides, and in some tragic cases where you actually had suicides, um, you also had a lot of kids whose parents still had to go to work during the, the pandemic, who essentially you've got 14 and 15 year olds when there wasn't face-to-face instruction who had a lot of time on their, their hands, essentially trying to have to raise themselves right at a pretty young age. And I just, I just think there is a, it's a multifaceted problem that has led us to this. Um, so I think again, mental health care access to it um, and, and doing things that are proactive, not reactive, you know, safety comes up a lot talking about, um, school shooting incidents or what have you. Well, is what I've heard from the school board candidates is they all want to hire more police officers. I'm not that that's that's great. We can hire as many police officers as we want, but that is that's reactionary. All the only thing a police officer is going to do is come in and and neutralize that threat before they can do more damage. And I want to focus on proactive things to 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 keep it from happening at all, whether it's you know, some type of incentive to, you know, see something, say something, but mainly it's to get these kids into a mental state to where they're happy and excited to go to school. And that's, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna or utopian on it. I realize that you want to have good days and bad days, but I think that we're so focused on the teaks and learning to, for a test that it's very difficult for these kiddos to be able to enjoy some things from school, such as you know, there's social emotional learning. Uh, Dr. Ramsey had brought it in, and I believe that the social emotional learning that's going on now is you, you want to develop good traits because we're trying to grow good human beings, good adults. Right? Is the purpose? It's not to it's not to raise good kids. It's to grow good adults. And so, the social emotional learning that's going on now is taking instructional time and academic time away from the kids and having them focus on an article that they read on a technological device for 15 minutes. I think that it would be more beneficial for the kids if we used um, our social emotional learning and kind of converged it with our uh, instruction where we're allowed to go on field trips. I think, especially in Midland, we have such wonderful resources like the Blakemore Planetarium, the Haley Library, uh, the Museum of the Southwest, the Petroleum Museum, and I'm and, and I'm not trying to, 
I'm missing lots of them. Sibley Nature Center. Sibley Nature Center. We grew up going, if you know about Sibley, that means you've been there and took a field trip out there. And so I don't know why we're not utilizing those resources because I think that that is an excellent, probably the best way to build up strong moral character with our kiddos and our young adults is to get them interactive in the community and allow them to start managing how they walk amongst the community, you know, with a little bit longer leash. And I, and it's also a learning opportunity. I mean, these are wonderful places to actually learn, not just enrichment, but learning new things. And so I just, I I personally believe that we are allowing ourselves in Midland to be pushed around by the state and the federal, we need to stay within our, our legal constraints. There's no doubt about it. But I think that we're so afraid to try something different that we're, we're being pushed around and being forced to stay in this box that I just don't think that we should stay in. Midland is a, is a medium-sized district, but it's not large. It's not huge. You know, we are kind of here constant comparison between MISD and districts in the Metroplex, whether it's Plano or Frisco. And then they start complaining about our facilities here in Midland, which we absolutely need to reinvest in our facilities. But we also need to remember, too, that Midland is a much older community than Plano is. When Plano was developed, what, in the 80s or 90s by Ross Perot? I mean, it was when you're trying to compare a district that's been around since the late 1800s and early 1900s to districts that have been around since, you know, 1990, of course we're going to have aging infrastructure. And that's just something that we need to plan accordingly for to take care of. But I just, I think that we just, I think that our board has just not done specifically the incumbent in district five as and he's a good person, but I just don't think that the out of the box thinking there and the leaderships there to be able to take us to the next level. I think that the pandemic really uh, caused some some issues that, unfortunately, are are you know the the board's not dealt with it very well. You know we've got ESSER funds that the Fed gave us. We have not spent them wisely. Um, and I just, it's, everything should be going into the classroom. The dollars follow the kids. And the further that dollar gets out of the classroom for positively affecting the teacher or the student, there needs to be a heavier justification on why we're spending it. And so I, I hope that answers your question on that. I kind of went round and round and was trying to segue to different things. No, it, it totally answered my question and, and touched on a lot of, of good areas there. And I kept thinking up other things I could I could kind of bounce back with you with like such as do you think it's with the board? It's such it's it's a thing in terms of we've always done it this way, like that kind of mentality. Yeah, You know, yes, I, I, I'm not going to say 100 percent. But a, but a majority percentage of it is we've always done it this way. Just for instance, like when we start talking, we've you know, I've sat on um, several facilities committees and subcommittees on CT and vocational and these different things. And you go, it, it, I'm going to use this as an example, right? So we know that it's cost prohibitive to do a billion dollar bond in this community. Well, now we have people coming in on the new facilities committee that I sit on, who 
we were saying a new secondary school is going to be 400 million. So if we do a new, two new secondary schools, it's 800 million. So I've gone and I've asked, why do we have to just do the two schools? If, if, if our mission as a facilities committee is to provide high quality seats and to alleviate capacity issues at the secondary level, why can't we build a smaller school like that holds 2,500 because it's offering high quality seats and it's going to alleviate capacity issues at both secondary schools? Nobody can really answer that question. They said, well, we don't really want to be a three high school town. Well, we can't have our cake and eat it too. At some point, we either have to build new secondary schools and they're going to be expensive, or we think it's some out-of-the-box solutions to to deal with it. You know, another example of we're going to do it the same way is, is MISD wanted to build a standalone CT vocational facility, and I'm a big proponent of vocation. We work with Mike Rowe Foundation. We're very big into vocational. But I was against building a $120 million standalone vocational center for MISD because we already have Midland College here, and we've already done joint partnerships with 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 uh, Midland College. So to me, we work with our partners that we have here, so we're not replicating and spending money on something that we already have access to, such as why would we spend money building another um, health science-type vocational school when we're already doing healthcare through Midland College's dual credit and then certifications and associate's degrees, and then actually now they're offering bachelor's degrees all the way up through Texas Tech Physicians has a, a physician's assistant program through uh, through Midland College now too. So it's, it's these, I think, I, I really do think people are just, this is how we've always done it, we're going to do it. But then I also, I think that's, that's probably about 75% of it. But then I think we overthink it and we go, well, what are what are the legal ramifications for this? Well, can we not find out prior to? I mean, we can make sure we're staying within the legal constraints. I mean, now that I know you and I know your wife's an education lawyer, you would think that we call an education lawyer to make sure, yeah, that sounds great, you know, or no, you can't do that. But I just, I, I think that, I think that people are really scared. And, it, and it's difficult to think about what education is going to look like in 10 years. It's, much, it's, it's different than when I was in school in 97, but really the, the context of it's not changed. And that's what I tell people. I said, education, yes, the way that we were educating the kids might have changed. But the Pythagorean theorem hasn't changed since the Pythagoreans developed it. I mean, it's still the same. I just, I think there's a generational gap too, because the way that I think about education versus like a 55-year-old thinks about education is totally different. And I'm, I'm more of a, what works for that kid and their family best? And let's try it. But then on the flip side of that is... Choice also causes in charter schools and these options, there's merit in the debate. I'm not saying this is the case, but there's merit in a debate to say that it seems as though some of our local public schools are left to die on the vine so they can just be changed over to a charter school. And I don't think that that's right. I don't, if you're not giving the tools and resources to those teachers in our local neighborhood schools, 
that, that's just not right. There, there's nothing. There's nothing right about that. You think that's and, going on? That some campuses are being left to kind of wither and die? I think so. Yes. And and, and don't take me. I am a, a school choice guy. I don't have a problem with the charter schools. I don't believe that students should be left in a failing school. They should be given options. A quality education should not just be for a select few, but be offered to everyone. But I do think that I'll look at some of these neighborhood schools as I talk to these teachers. And, you know, for example, our life skills are our SPED department at MIST. We're, what, seven weeks into the eight weeks into the new school year, and they still haven't gotten basic supplies. I mean, that is that is that is not good, you know, and there's some general education folks that have not gotten their supplies. That's just terrible leadership from, from the top. And I just, I guarantee you that our charter schools are not lacking for supplies. And going around and talking to the educators, what's the morale of the teachers and the staff in MISD right now? So, there's two it's like there's two different camps right so you have the larger camp is the morale is pretty low the teachers were really tired they did not like the change to the intercessional calendar um they didn't get a long enough break it affected the traditional calendar severely they don't believe that the kids are benefiting uh, the for remediation on the intercessional weeks because the, there's the larger group of teachers who are saying we believe that the reading interventionists and the specialist working with these kids on a daily basis is much more beneficial than bringing the kids in eight days per year to try and do remediation to get them caught up to where they need to be on reading. Then there's your other, you know, that's probably 70% of your teachers. Then you have the 30% and you don't have to put this in the interview, but I call them the, the, the do-gooders They they, they never go against the district. Whatever the district says, oh, this is wonderful. And they are also usually in a favorable environment. They're, wherever they're teaching, you know, they're either a carver teaching gifted and talented kids or Young Women's Leadership Academy. They're, they're in a school or an environment that is so much different than the environment that the majority of our teachers are encountering that heck yeah who wouldn't want who wouldn't want to be in that group because they've got their supplies they don't have the discipline issues they're backed up and helped by the administration does that make sense at all like they're kind of the the you know the favorites i guess because that, they never speak up yeah that makes sense and it, it reminds me of something that used to be said during the 1950s and early 60s that uh, separate and unequal um, mm-hmm. in terms of campuses and so forth and how the how the budget is allotted. Um, and to be f- just plain devil's advocate and just to be fair. Um, hey, course- before you ask this question, let me say one thing real quick to end that little. To, if, if you don't mind, I wasn't trying to be rude. But no, I'm please go ahead. It. Like, so I'm going to give you an example. So Scarver is an elementary school that is located in Grasslands and Grasslands West. If you look, and so I was interested to see what percentage of tax money, property tax money, was coming just from that Grasslands and Grasslands West. 
because those are you have homes from four hundred thousand in the Grasslands West that are you know well over a million dollars. So if you look at their average tax pro- property tax rates, it is the people that live out there should be absolutely you know they should have pitchforks and torches in my opinion because they're paying a significant portion of the property taxes going to MISD and their kids are not even able to go to Scarborough because Scarborough has been such a terrible campus year over year. So how, so Scarborough was going to be the next before the pandemic happened. Scarborough was the next school on the 1882 chopping block. It was going to be turned over as an in-district charter because of SB 1882, but because the pandemic hit where it did, and there was no, it just didn't happen, right? But there, if you go look at it now, it's still having serious academic trouble, and it's it's going. How is it that we have this failing school amongst a very expensive real estate, and these these people that live by the school? Their kids can't even walk or ride their bikes to school. They're going to private school. They're seeking alternative education options. And it's just, it's very frustrating. I mean, we've got serious chronic discipline issues at that school that haven't been dealt with. And even at, you know, the campus where my wife is at, they, it's, 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 to, it's night and day difference with what the tools and resources they get compared to the new, the new sexy thing, you know, the, the newest cool thing that we have. And it's just, you can't, you, you just can't compete. You know, it's just absolutely, it's, it's, it's not even about equitability. It's just about straight fairness. It's, you know, it's just, it's just, it's unreasonable is what it is. It's unreasonable. It's an unreasonable ask for those teachers and those students to at these schools that don't have the same access to the resources to, to expect them to play on a field with these new schools. I mean, it's, it's like the Yankees going against the round round people, you know, it's just not, it's just, it's just not fair. Anyway, sorry. I don't know if that answers anything. No, that because I'm not, I'm not trying to be negative. I am for the charter schools. I'm for the alternative education options. And I'm not trying to be too negative. It's just you can't you can't you, you can't drop somebody off in a California forest fire and say good luck and hand them a squirt gun, you know? Right. And that's what I feel like we've done. Well, and it's a very sensitive kind of an issue because in the abstract, we say Parents should be able to choose, have school choice. But then on the other side, if those dollars are being taken or diverted to a different type of school, not a public school, then those students and those parents who can't afford to do that, they're left in a public school that possibly may not be well funded and they're having issues such as you just mentioned. Yes, sir. And what do we do to change that? I mean, that's the that's the uncomfortable conversation we all need to be having. And I think that there's, you know, I think there's a lack of of effort between people with 
differing opinions to sit down and have respectful conversations with each other that that are going to be hard conversations. There's no doubt they're going to be hard, but they need to happen. And I think that's one of the that's 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 a really bad problem in Midland or with MISD is people for a long time. If you do not agree with someone 100% march and lockstep, you are their mortal enemy. And to me, I'm going, well, I just always believed in math and the Pareto principle, 80-20. Like if 80% is good, why are we going to let the 20% we disagree with make the 80% bad? It just doesn't make it's doesn't it's not logical to me. Right. And unfortunately, it stretches beyond MISD insofar as being able to have a, a civil dialogue back and forth to create ideas and, and so forth. Absolutely. Um, moving on, where do you see right now uh, with MISD in a transition phase, searching for a new permanent superintendent? What what qualities in a new superintendent would you be looking for? So I want to see a superintendent with extensive experience and a background in curriculum. And I want to see them build their uh, executive strategic plan focused on foundational skills, uh, like your reading, your writing, your math, your science, and your history. Um, again, this kind of goes back. I'd said this earlier. I want to see a superintendent that converges social emotional learning with our community based instruction. And by that, the community based instruction is the field trips that are kind of what I was talking about. And uh, by using our local resources for students to develop strong character traits instead of only technology. And I want to see a superintendent who has a personal stake in Midland and just shares the majority of Midlanders' values. And when I say a personal stake in Midland, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be from here or be from West Texas. But I, and I can be totally wrong on this. This is total my opinion, right? And as I, as I get on the board, my viewpoint might change on this as more information became available. But we continue to have these conversations, the board does, of saying, well, the average tenure of a superintendent in Texas is only two and a half years. Well, why and why does it have to be? And even if that is the average, why are we? I'd like to find somebody who's going to be here for four or five years. So when I say a personal stake in Midland, I'm I'm kind of tired of seeing people come in and use it as a stepping stone. And I think that we can do a better job finding people who are going to be here for a longer time than they have been. Um, and so that's what I mean from like a personal stake standpoint and shared values with Midlanders. Again, I had a really good relationship with Dr. Ramsey. I thought she brought the two things that I thought she brought that were really good to Midland that like stood apart from others is she brought a strategic plan that most people have not been bringing a strategic plan. And she brought an approachableness to her with the position of being a superintendent that was missing as well. I don't, and I just, she, she did well. I didn't agree with everything in her strategic plan, but it was still welcome. Any organization should have a strategic plan. And if you don't, you, 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 you don't really have any targets. You can't, nobody can implement and execute and enforce what you want. Um, but so I thought that was very unique. But the one thing that I'll say that Ramsey brought in to Midland that is, is some, now it's not CRT because CRT is against the law, but there, let's say there's some uh, divisive curriculum topics or what have you, and some focus on equitability and 
racial issues that were, that I'm not saying they shouldn't be brought in, but the way that you bring them in I, with the Midland, you've got to allow, you know, this is a big ship. So when you turn it, it takes a long time to, to turn it. And I think maybe she was more in a speedboat. She kind of threw people off in a, I think there was, it's like riding a, you know, it gave people a stomach ache. You know what I'm saying? And I think there's a way to be able to bring some things in that aren't going to make the traditional viewpoint folks as angry, bringing them in. And at the same time, too, being kind of more in the middle, I think some of the things that we brought in really just took away instructional time and academic time. And some of it, I think, should be taught at home and not at the schools. But we also have kids that don't, for their situations in their own homes or the lack of having a home, that they also need to have some guidance and some different things. So I I just don't, I think, I think we went too fast around the corner, if that makes any sense at all. Or if I, I hope I'm not sounding like a moron trying to answer that. No, 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 you don't. And I was just, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, well, in, in terms of maybe she was going too fast on some of these things and you're, you're trying to steer a large ship and you have to do it a little slower or, or whatever. Maybe that kind of dovetails into what you said just before that about, a superintendent who comes in here who's looking at it for a longer run, like several years, so they can they can have their vision, perhaps, and have the time to do it, but they're doing it a little slowly or they're doing it in ways that doesn't create a whole lot of, uh, well, you know, a, a lot of problems. And some people might say, well, maybe there needs to be problems. And, and, and yeah, but... Um, if you're also trying to educate the kids, if that if it's getting in the way of that, then we've got a problem, I think. You know what? That's a really good perspective. I never even thought, like, I'm actually going to steal that from you because that is a really good perspective. If we're looking at a long-term, like long-term, then absolutely we should, we, we have the ability to slow down. So people that want to kind of go fast, maybe that's a sign that they're not going to be here that long, like... They might, you know what I mean? Like they're, they want to implement it fast so they can move on. I'm not saying that all the time, but I, I like your perspective. There's a lot of things that came from that. That's uh, I'm glad we had this call. Cause I've never, <laughs> ever, I've never, I've never thought of it from that perspective of, well, yeah, if they're got a long, like they're expecting to have a long runway. So that means they're expecting to be here for a while. But, uh, well, really I, good perspective. I was raised with moderation, moderation and ed- everything. So, you know, kind of think of, is anybody always right? No. Is anybody always wrong? No. It's like, well, moderation, let's, and again, back to what you were saying about civil discussions that you can bounce things off different people and not be afraid to offend them and, and, and hopefully come up with some really creative, good ideas. Yeah. Uh, this is, I've had to run a pretty a campaign that I, I will govern much more moderately than the campaign has had to be to try and contrast myself from the incumbent. But luckily he did something really stupid and a lot of people are angry at him. So I'm not having to do it as hard as I thought it was going to be. But that, you know, anyway, that brings me up to a responsibility of a board member is to show up at the meetings and special meetings and for the trainings that we have to be. And one of the biggest things that a board member will ever do is, is being able to help lead in 
the hiring of a superintendent, right? And so the incumbent, the first meeting to start that process of hiring a superintendent, he didn't call any of the other board members, didn't call anyone, and he no-showed on it to go to Greg Abbott's fundraiser. And I just, and I'm a district, he's my rep. So not one person from District 5 was represented in the most important meeting he'll probably have in his tenure as a school board member. It really, really frustrated me. I have a, a couple of more questions, and then I'm going to uh, let you go because you've been more than generous with your time. Um, well, sorry, I, and I apologize about that. I'm long-winded by nature, and two, I really want to help fix education, and it's going to take a lot of us being long-winded and having discussions to fix it because nobody has the silver bullet. Right, and no, this is what this forum is for because there's no time limit on this. We don't have to fit it before the next commercial or anything like that. So this is a good long-form type of discussion platform that we have here. My second-to-last question, and then I've got a fun last question, but my second-to-last question is about the MISD population growing, and you mentioned that a few times, and we've seen the school bonds that have failed to be passed by the voters why do you think those bonds have failed? And where do you think that we should go from here with addressing campuses? So I sat on the facilities committee for the bond that then I turned around and helped lead the charge to get the information out to the taxpayer. And I have now, they, people say I've failed the bond. 11,000, I think 11,828 voters didn't support that bond because it was not a good bond. And so one of the reasons I didn't support it is because I, I, I think that we have a lot of bottleneck issues in our elementary schools and that bond only addressed secondary needs. And we need to be addressing an elementary school where the growth is really exploding out in the Northeast side by the Martin County line off 349. And it didn't address that. And so we're addressing that now. Can I interrupt All you for one second? While you talk about because about you're mentioning elementary campuses specifically, I do have one little tag on this question that I want to stop you with this and ask you right now. You know, we have to balance the district needs and keeping the taxpayer in mind. And a lot of times school boards have to make some really hard choices. And right now, San Angelo is considering closing three of their elementary campuses and they are explaining that the trend in Texas is elementary campuses are larger now, like with, say, 500 or so students. And those campuses have far fewer students. And they're saying that there would be savings in phasing out the older, outdated facilities. Is that kind of a and this is a really sensitive subject, closing an elementary school. But is that something Midland should consider? Yes. Yeah, I think that there's some campuses where we can consolidate them um, and use that pro and sell some of that property to recoup it. So it makes the, the facility cost less because we're selling some of the property uh, that those campuses were on. And so definitely, I think that we need to think about that. Now, how we do that, I don't know which campuses. I don't know. We need to uh, make sure that one side of town isn't getting consolidated and another is not. So there's, that's going to be, I would, a, a demographic study would probably be needed. If, I mean, needed in that and probably a separate 
subcommittee that would be part of the long-term facilities committee. Yeah, but um, I believe what San Angelo did was they, I think they hired some kind of a, a specialized firm that did the study, but before they did the study, the board talked with the firm about what their goals and visions and so forth are. And then the firm used, I guess I'm assuming their expertise and, and making that. So I don't know. I, it sounds like a very long, complicated process. Yeah. But I would, I think, I think we need to do what we need to do in order to move forward. And if that's uh, get rid of some campuses and consolidate them, then absolutely we should do that. Um, but there are definitely bottlenecks in the element on the elementary school side. And so kind of going back to the, the bond or the, the growth, you know, it didn't address that pre 49. It also brought in, we bought apartment complexes that we're going to use for teacher housing. That didn't work out. We're now going to sell those apartment complexes because it gets outside the scope of a school board's mission to become landlords and trying and trying to real estate. Um, you know, th so that's one of the reasons that I didn't like it is because we were buying apartment complexes. We spent over a premium price. We spent $10 million on a three and a half million dollar piece of contiguous acreage, which we're probably going to have to sell now as well. There was just a lot of little ancillary things that went inside that bond that I don't believe served to add value to the facilities. I mean, again, we were charged with uh, providing high-quality seats and alleviate, alleviating capacity issues. Well, our capacity issues, the way that the people made it seem, is that every one of our schools was just busting at the seam and kids didn't have a desk to sit in and just really framing a narrative that just was not true. And so if you looked at it, there was big discrepancies, and there still is. 66% of our schools in Midland don't have, there aren't even at 100% functional capacity. We only have, only a third of our schools have us in a conundrum on it. Um, none of them are charter schools except for Idea Travis, which seems strange that we can, can, we can keep our populations down at some of these really fancy charter schools, but we can overcrowd, you know, a third of our local neighborhood elementary schools. But so there, there was just a lot of things in that bond that were not presented to the public. And so I allowed that information to get presented to the public and that bond fell by 25 votes. There are some people in the community that think that that was expensive and it's going to cost us more to build those schools now, and which is correct in some ways, but it's not going to cost us the amount of money that they're trying to say it's going to cost us in additional funding for, for construction costs. They brought in a very, the most expensive uh, architecture firm to say it was going to be 400 million a school. And I was like, and I told them, I said, what's your price per square foot? They said $540 a square foot. And I said, I can build in downtown Manhattan for $540 a square foot. So you can take that somewhere else. And they were like, you know, kind of getting mad. And I said, dude, I've built tens of billions of dollars worth of projects all over the world. $540 square foot in Midland, Texas for this is absolutely asinine. You're never going to get it. And this isn't like either get serious or get out. And because I can get frustrated with people, I don't suffer fools very well. So it's a, uh, so again, back to the main point is there was just a lot in that bond that did not add value to the, to provide better 
academic opportunities to the kids. And it did not alleviate some of our capacity issues. It actually made some of our capacity issues even more intertwined and, and compounded. And the high-quality seats were, were going to be offered, but you couldn't tell me where they were going to be offered consistently because they hadn't even determined what they were going to do with the old property versus the new property or, well, how long is it going to take to do the dirt work? There was just, it was just, it was, it was not a good bond. There was a lot of information in it that, that was not allowed to get out to the public until I allowed it out in the public. I don't believe that it served the taxpayers well. I don't think that it would help move education to where it needed to be. It would. The only thing it would have done is allowed a very uh, rich minority group of white people, which I call the Midland Education Cabal, the ability to say, look at these pretty new schools we have. But it would not have solved our problems. It would have actually compounded our problems. So now moving forward, I believe that our education, like the student projection population, if you go back and look at the demographic study that was done with MISD internally, and then also they hired an external demographer to come in, those numbers were all wrong. West the Perriman statistics were way wrong on the student population growth. So I think that we need to make sure that we do not overbuild in Midland because we don't need to have classrooms just sitting open and not being utilized because that's just a waste of money. Um, so uh, Kelly Spencer, the interim superintendent and I had agreed. And I told her, I said, we need a baseline number because if you use the numbers Davis demographics got us, or if you use the ones James Regan gave us, or if you use the ones that Perriman used, they're all different. Like, so everybody comes up, with different numbers. I said, so we've decided that we're, we're Kelly was nice enough to hire another demographer and they're going to come out and do a demographic study. They should be almost finished with it because they're doing it now. And then we all decided that we're going to use those numbers and then it's a fair playing field. And so I think that we need to do build new secondary schools, but at the same time we need to, are we going to do it the same way we've always done it? Are we going to allow the athletic side of it to lead everything else. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that we should let the athletics and their extracurricular activities are wonderful. And part of the educational experience and athletics is extremely wonderful team building, all that. But at the same time, our, our athletics folks don't, they don't need for anything. I mean, it's just, I think we spend millions and millions of dollars turfing fields and building complexes for sports. And you look at, well, what happened to our fine arts program? And well, so you just have more options for extracurricular activity too that might not be necessarily a traditional sport. Like we have robotics teams now and we have, so the we've got to figure out Midland specifically, we need to figure out what our identity is and where we want to go with all that before we just start throwing mud at a wall to see what sticks. And I and I don't believe that our current the, the I don't believe that current leadership has done a good job getting with the community, and I don't believe that the administration has done a good job getting with the community. It's it's a very 
select few of the community. And then I think there's part of the community too that are just freaking crazy. And they just, they use, they're like little football terrorists. They're like, well, I'll pull, you know, they're wearing suicide vests and it's just like, look, we cannot, we can't be this way. Like this is football's never going to be what it was in the eight. It's just the, the demographics have changed out here and there's a lot more options to do things. And so I think that that is a struggle with, uh, with athletics folks, you know? So anyway, does that help answer any of those questions or did I go off on a real weird rant? No, it helped answer any and all questions and, and everything that you've been saying when you've said, does that answer? And I went off on a long tangent there or whatever. You actually answered a lot of my questions that I was about to ask, but you answered them before I had a chance to. So that's, it's perfect. Thank you so much. Um, no, Last question, and I said this was going to be a fun one. Okay, I'm, I'm going to mention a dollar amount, and based on the size of MISD, it's a very tiny dollar amount, but it's easy to understand, and I think it makes people be more creative. But the question is, if MISD were given a million-dollar grant, an open grant, can spend any way that it wants, what would your vision be to spend that million dollars on the school district so and i'm gonna piss a bunch of people off (laughs) i would probably spend it on fine arts i think i think i would i would make sure every elementary school has a music program and when i say a music program this is dumb but do you ever watch jimmy fallon yes have you ever seen when they have like when Metallica he brings bands on and they play with the roots, but they have to play with all like the xylophone, like what the little instruments we had when we were little kids? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I think that every elementary school should have the xylophone and plastic flute. I just I think that stuff is very important uh, for those kids. And I think that they should all have an art room. Uh, you know, again, but this is you're going up against the state because the kids are on minutes and every minute counts because you got to teach the feet. So it's a uh, but I would spend a million dollars on fun educational things to put in the schools, I think, is what I would do. And that's such a great, refreshing answer to hear about funneling some of that into fine arts, because that's so many of us. We love music and a lot of us have artists that we admire who themselves support music in public schools. And you see the work that they do and you see the benefits coming out of their work through those kids. And they seem just so creative and happy. And right now, like I said, going back to the pandemic and unfortunately they didn't write a what to do in a school district after a pandemic for dummies book. It's like, we're all trying to figure it out as we go, but obviously the kids are needing a lot of things from the adults right now. And I think that's a, that's one great avenue for them to express themselves. Yeah, I just, I'm very, I think that instruments and the arts are just so important and, and we focused, you know, and I would tell you, man, I'm a Republican, I'm a, but I'm a weird Republican because I work for big bands for a long time anyway. And, you know, my kids at Tech going to be a mechanical engineer. And I tell them all the time, man, you really should write some more songs. I was like, man, being a songwriter, it's way more fun than, you know, going to work from eight to five. And he just <laughs> laughed at me. But uh, 
in a because I think well-rounded. That's the problem that I have with education is everybody wants to be so specialized. And I'm going, what happened to well-rounded? Like you'd go to art class and you'd learn how to paint and you or you do, you know, whether it was charcoal or whether it was pencil or what. Like you just learn these different things all over the place and. And that's what we're missing. I, as a school board member, my goal is to be able to go to bed and sleep fine, knowing that I've done everything I can to provide these kids the tools and resources and opportunities to go off and be successful in whatever it is they choose to go off and do when that time comes. I don't know if they're going to go to the university or junior college or I, I don't know, but I want them to have the tools and reasons I want them to be able to be educated to the point that they can go do that. And we're just not doing it. And so it just, it's, I'm very, very frustrated with the bureaucracy. They always blame it on the state. They go, well, the state says, or this, and I'm like, man, why it's, it's like, we're just using an excuse. Like if you talk to the incumbent, he's always talking about Robin hood. Robin hood's not something we can fix on the local level. And we have an abundant amount of financial resources in Midland. It's not, you know, and Robin Hood. So yes, we had to give $150 million back to the state. But at the same time, we got $62 million back in Midland from the state of Texas in transition formula grants, which goes away in 2024. And our board has done such a job financially planning that 2024 is going to be not a good year for MISD unless the state legislature comes in and does a schedule reduction plan or forgives those or whatever, but it's going to, I just, I don't know. I just, but if you gave me a million bucks, I would put musical instruments in those rooms and for, for the little kids. And I think that that helps with your mental health care. I think that that it just, it opens up a level of creativity that you can't have. It gives everyone kind of uh, doing the same thing. You have water cooler talk, like, if you get four or five kids together and they're all learning the same song, they have, they're interested in a, a shared objective. I just, I, I would give it, you know, but now, sorry, went on a rant. No, it's totally, it's totally fine. But, um, but that was a great answer. I love that answer to the million dollar question. I'm Michael Todd. We've been talking with Brandon Hodges, who is the MISD district five candidate. And we thank you so much, Brandon, for for being so generous again with your time. No, thank you. I, and and I, I hope you stay in touch. This has been this has been the best. Con- this this wasn't an, even an interview. This was a conversation about education, and I really I, I, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for that. It's, well, it's been one of the only ones I've had in the last three months. Well, thank you. Thank you. Tall City Elections is a nonpartisan and unbiased community project of the League of Women Voters of Midland and the Recording Library of West Texas. The League of Women Voters and the Recording Library did not endorse, support, or oppose any candidates for office or a political party. All candidates for office are invited to participate in this project.